You're listening to Paranormal Portal on Revolver Podcasts. Everybody and welcome to the Paranormal Portal Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Thomas. Thank you all for being with us, and thank you for all the love and support we've been getting from you all out there. It's incredible to keep meeting new uh, listeners and, and hearing your stories. And if any of you out there have a story that you'd like to share, we'd love to hear from you. Just email me at paranormalportalradio at gmail.com, and uh, I'll get in touch with you, and we'll have you as a guest on the show as well. I got a phenomenal show lined up for you guys today. Uh, joining me today on uh, the show is Marcel from Washington and uh, Washington State, rather, and he's joining us because he has a full buffet of Sasquatch knowledge and experiences. So we're going to get into that right now. So I hope you guys are ready. Welcome to the show, Marcel. Hello there, Brent. Nice to meet you. Good to be part of this uh, show here. Oh, thank you, man, for coming in. And I appreciate you working with me on the scheduling of it, but we finally got it tied in together. And you and I have been talking uh, for a while now and without even recording everything that went on. And I'm kind of kicking myself that I didn't just hit record as soon as we started because you have so much to, to share and to say, and you're blowing my socks off. So I was like, we got to start recording this. So I really appreciate it, brother. This is going to be excellent. But I guess the first place to start with any story is where, how did it start for you? Where did this all begin? Okay. Let me introduce myself. My name is Marcel Kagi. I am a Lummi Nation Indian. Mm-hmm. I'm also a Pomo Indian from Northern California from the village of uh, the Pomo tribe, and uh, also I am a Cupeno Hot Springs Indian from Southern Cal down here in San Diego County, 
Um, and I first started getting into uh, research on this when I uh, moved into a, a house over in Lummi on the Lummi Shore Road. And uh, basically, it was a nice size home above the river and the bay. Beautiful, mm-hmm. beautiful place. I I basically didn't have no curtains in this house because you're looking at a beautiful uh, scenery all the way around. So right. I didn't have, have any curtains up in my house when the, the Bigfoot came to, uh, I guess, to greet, greet us in his own <laughs> way, and uh, which was uh, terrifying at first, uh, the first night there. Then it just started getting uh, crazier after that. Uh that was an uh, amazing experience, man. Oh, I can't imagine. I mean, you know, just uh, the idea of these of these beings. And, and for me, what I always think about, I have never seen one. I think I had a close encounter with one when I was 14. Uh, you know, I can certainly share that with you another time. But I, I always think about the the incredible size and power that these things carry. And what would that be like to come face to face with it? And I got to tell you, um, I, I think I'd probably curl up in the fetal position and start crying because it's just such an imposing figure. And, and it, it's got to be just so terrifying. It was um, the first, uh, I guess I could get started uh, yeah. with how it all happened. Yeah. Um, we'll start off uh when I moved into this uh, two-story home, mm-hmm. um, we had been there for only five days before it greeted us in the backyard with its lovely scream. Mm-hmm. And uh, I happened to be outside, and it was just getting dusk. It was just starting to get dark. And um, I'm arranging uh, the downstairs uh, Downstairs basement was a carport, mm-hmm. uh, an enclosed garage. Okay. And I made I was trying to make that a, a game room for myself. A, what do you call it? Man cave. Oh, man. <laughs> I was, sure. And then uh, it was starting to get kind of dark. And um, I basically heard the shrieking, squealing sound. And I had recorded it several times just for uh, sharing purposes. And uh, I was lucky to get the, the soundings of it screaming and what, what happened after that is I ran up the house. I had to cl- uh, go up some stairs outside because to access the garage, you had to go outside to get into <laughs> the garage. Okay. When I heard that scream, mm-hmm. I was uh, my I, I was shocked. Like, wow, what the hell was that? Yeah. In in a in a big way, like mm-hmm. I had to actually run up into the house out to the back uh, porch because that's where the sound had came from the backyard. Wow. And uh, by that time it was sort of pitch dark. It was already dark enough to be dark to where I had to turn on the back porch lights on. Mm -hmm. And when I did the, the light bulbs were those yellow bulbs to keep the bugs away. So it really didn't illuminate much, man. (laughs) And uh, when I opened the back door, Flipped the lights on, and I couldn't see nothing but darkness. Right. And then it hit me, and then it hit me with the sound. And I believe, uh, well, after my uh, education now, (laughs) several, many years later, uh, that sound they call infrasound, I was hit by it. 
Oh man, I was like, it's infrasound. Okay, and I saw some eyes. It, it, part of the blackness of the darkness, but the sound was like. Sit, you ever been to a concert and you could feel the vibes just? Oh sure. Uh, making your internal organs vibrate like whoa, you know, you're sitting next to this same feeling, same oh. thing. And it did this to me three times, like screaming. What the sound hit me? I could actually feel a physical, like a, a okay. like the pounding from the speaker. Wow. I actually felt that. Oh my god, that's and, powerful. And, uh, it did it. It like it put me in shock the first time, when it first hit me. I was like in a like a little like a couple second little shock. Like oh, I couldn't move. Oh, man. And then it did it again, and I was able to take another breath of air because mm-hmm. it, it really took your air out of your whole body in a way. And then uh, basically um, the second time I took a breath of air, and uh, I guess I'm shocked. I'm in shock at this point. And so I lean back, and then the third scream, I slam the door, boom. But there's no curtain in the door. <laughs> the, the back door has no curtain. Sure. So in uh, a quick panic, I grab sheets out of the bathroom where we kept all our linen. Mm-hmm. And uh, grab, like, basically all the sheets, even drop some on the ground. But I ran to the kitchen and grabbed all these steak knives. And I grabbed a sheet and I stabbed the knives in the wall <laughs> to keep the sheets over the window. You weren't playing <laughs> at all. No, man. Uh, <laughs> it, that's when I learned a lesson. Keep windows closed and curtains <laughs> closed before dark. Uh-huh. I've heard that when I was a little kid, but I didn't, you know, I, what for? Now I know what for. Yeah. And so in the kitchen windows, the living room windows, I went and stabbed all the <laughs> Stabbed the curtains to cover the windows because we had no curtains in this house at all. Wow. And I probably blocked off all the windows uh, facing the backyard. Mm-hmm. And then I got on the phone and I start, or the computer to look for Bigfoot researchers, <laughs> like Sasquatch hunters, everybody. I think I called like 12 different numbers, man, in a frantic panic right. uh, voice. Please help. We might have something in the backyard. Yeah. In the backyard. And so that's when it started, man. That's that's and, a uh, that's a baptism by fire. Intense. That was really intense for me. I'm I'm uh just like wow. Mm-hmm. And so um you know, I'm like uh, tw- uh 30 some years old at this point. Mm-hmm. And um never experienced nothing like this on my dad's reservation at all ever like this terrifying. Wow. And uh, yeah, so but this you, was the, the first uh day that it happened in this way. Yeah. And uh there's so many days, man. There's a lot more things that had happened after that. Um gosh, uh, after that night, um I got a call from the BFRO. Mm-hmm. Uh I think uh, the ladies in some other state and um, she sends over a guy named Jim Bodiste. 
Mm-hmm. He's a researcher for, or he does the investigating stuff for the BFRO mm-hmm. in the Skagit and the Whatcom County area. And uh, Jim Bodiste came over after I gave him a call. He came over the following weekend, and he works. So he basically came over, and I told him what happened, and I told him uh, where it was. So we went back to the backyard to take a look. And Brent, when I first moved in this house, the the grass was almost knee-high in the backyard. And in the backyard, there was also an apple tree, a big, giant, full of apples. apples and there was a mass bunch of apples on the ground mm-hmm. below it and when i took the keys from the owner because the owner uh, lives in town mm-hmm. he's a non-tribal member and um, this was his parents place apparently so he liked to rent it out well, he lived in town he's like an instructor electrician instructor in uh, the tech school in bellingham oh okay and so um he gave me the keys, and when we walked through the whole yard, he goes, you're going to have to maintain this whole big yard. Are you ready for that? <laughs> and I'm looking at the apple trees on the ground. And I'm like, well, you know, I'll just rent a uh, mulcher mower and just mulch everything down, you know, and sure. it'll be not a bad prob- uh, project. Mm-hmm. So, and I never got to do that yet. So Jim Bodiste comes, and we walk into the backyard, and looking at the apple tree, all the damn apples are gone. Gone. Wow. There's all the apples on the bottom of the on the ground, the rotten ones, all of them, gone. We yeah. only found one apple that was smashed, like like a paper thin smash. Oh. And, yeah, that was amazing. Like, wow, man. So nobody had been living in this house prior to my arrival for a year or two because the homeowner had been remodeling it oh. to rent. Okay. I'm the first renter since he uh, uh, remodeled it. Okay. And, uh, so, obviously, this house had been vacant for a year or so. And, um, you know, it had its way in the backyard for all those months, I was, I would I would think. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, there was an apple tree back there. And what are they known for? Apples. They like yeah. apples. And so, Jim walked. And I walked back there, and all the knee-high grass around the apple tree matted down flat. Like, wow, I didn't even notice that. I didn't even take a look in the backyard since the first (laughs) night that it did that. So I was kind of uh, exploring the backyard with Jim, you know. So we saw um, the apples were all gone. One Mm -hmm. apple that was smashed like a piece of paper, and... um, I was shocked because I didn't know they mat down the grass when whenever they're around and they right. sit around. Sure. It must it match the grass down like you know, like it'd been cut or something, but right. it's just smash. So I was like, Oh my god, we got a Bigfoot in the backyard or something, you know. Uh-huh. And so from there, um I uh, asked Jim, How do I get involved with the BFRO? I wanna learn I wanna my intentions were, um, I wanted to know everything that the BFRO knows about them. Right. And, and so I asked the clerk, hey, can I join the BFRO? Mm-hmm. He's, well, let me t- uh, get a hold of Matt Moneymaker and uh, 
we'll uh, we'll let them know you want to be uh, a helper. You know, it's a non-paying, and you don't get any financial reward or nothing. It's just sure. a bunch of guys going out tracking, you know, and mm-hmm. and looking at evidence. And you'll learn you'll learn a lot. <clears throat> so I did, and so it took like two or three weeks before they got back to me. In the meantime, I'm like. My, my ears are to the ground, and I'm just <laughs> wide awake now. <laughs> yeah. uh, it took a few nights. Uh, t- it was hard to sleep for yeah. a few nights after that because it actually had, you know, come to the house. So, yeah. And I have a teenage daughter, and I was like, man, you're going to sleep up in the upstairs section of this <laughs> house, man. So we put her bedroom up there in the top. Uh-huh. It or not, man, it came again. And um, it was, she has a skylight at the second story. Oh, okay. On top of the house. There's a skylight. Mm-hmm. And she come running down to our, our bedroom like one or two in the morning. Like, Dad, there's something up there tapping on my window. You know, the skylight. Oh, God. Wow. And I'm like, oh, no, man. I'm like, I hope, I hope it was just a raccoon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so when I peeked outside, it was, you could hear a pin drop. Oh, dead there quiet. Was not a noise in the forest, mm-hmm. no frogs, no crickets, nothing. And that's unusual for me to like, whoa, this is totally uh, a black stillness in the air and nothing is making a noise, not even a frog. Yeah. And uh, so the, that morning... Um, she slept in our in our room, and because uh, she was very uh, frightened, you know. And I was like, "Oh my god!" So the next, the very next morning, kid went to school. I had to wait at the the front of the yard with her because I'm like spooked out. I'm like, "Man, this thing could just come and grab you." Yeah. And because it just happened on this reservation before, mm-hmm. and uh, that's another story, man. Holy smokes! Okay, everybody, I think it's time we got to take a break, so don't go away, and we'll be right back with more of the Paranormal Portal podcast in just a couple minutes. Hey, guys, Brent Thomas here of the Paranormal Portal podcast. We just wanted to take a moment to introduce you to the Paranormal Portal store. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, leggings, stickers, mugs, you name it, you might find it over there. So head on over to teespring.com slash stores slash paranormal dash portal and you too can help fund the Paranormal Portal podcast. Thank you so much for all that you do and thank you for being a part of our Paranormal Portal family. everybody and we're back and we're back at it here on the paranormal portal podcast buckle up we're going in 
I'd walk out, let my kid get on the bus, and then I'd walk over to just below the, the gabled uh, roof, mm-hmm. and I'm looking up, and there's a, actually a big, uh, it's, uh, it's like a hemlock tree. Okay. Uh, it wasn't a cotton uh, tree, but it was like a hemlock tree. Mm-hmm. And uh, you could tell that something had uh, slid up it or down it. Oh. Because the bark was somewhat discolored on one side. Oh. And so I'm looking, I stepped back and I could see um, possibly it actually used a tree to get up on the roof. Oh, okay. Uh, and tapped on the skylight window up there. <laughs> and so after that, we put a cover, you know, like a, we hung a big handkerchief to block the view from that skylight <laughs> in the room. Good idea. And uh, she basically, it would get, um, went from a tap <laughs> to more of a scratch now. Oh. Yeah, it, it, it would scratch and try to catch her attention up there. But um, she had a gable window that was probably up to her waist, and she could see out to the bay and stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, that window started getting tapped on, too. And I think it used a branch to do that because it was too far out of the reach from the tree. Mm-hmm. You never know, but I'm assuming it used a branch to do that one. And then so we ended up screwing the window tight and basically put a cover over the window. Jeez. So if she wanted to see outside, she'd have to open up her little mini blind to actually look out. But sure. um, it was a locked window type thing. She couldn't open it any longer. Okay. And so that was just the most fearful thing that I uh, first experience right at the beginning of moving into this house on Lummi Shore Road. And um, basically after that, um, Jim uh, came, Jim wanted to go down to the river and uh, check out the river. Um, and so it took like it, every other week we would do something active. You okay. know, Jim, he had, he had work. And so we would work around his work schedule. Mm-hmm. And um, basically, uh, we started going out, me and Jim. And uh, we basically, uh, our first first uh, little uh, hike, we went down to the Nooksack River Bridge and a place where it had the fishermen, our Indian fishermen had uh, – many encounters down there so um we wanted to go he wanted to he was really interested in getting over there he said he's been wanting to come over here for 17 years to come out to lummy and be able to do some research because of um chad escatum kenny cooper he was the first one to chase bigfoot around lummy nation back in the 70s and then uh, one of my cousins uh well my dad's nephew johnny green Mm-hmm. He was in tribal fisherman. He was featured in Leonard Nimoy's In Search of Bigfoot. Oh, cool. Uh, he did an interview and um, with Leonard Nimoy back then. And uh, because Johnny um, had a real close encounter, then he unloaded his 22 in on it. 
he was fishing in the river uh, the river this house this river this house sits above mm-hmm. and not more than a thousand feet from the edge of the river up a little river a little bit um, is where Johnny Green was being pulled across the river by his fishing gear oh. uh, when he was uh, gill netting the river oh uh, Bigfoot pulled him across the river uh, from the other side of the bank because when you drift the river, you got to throw one end of your gill net on the shore on the other side. Then you um, you set your net all the way across the river, and oh. you're on the other side. So he's on the other side of the river. Now his boat's getting tugged back across the river oh, through this gill net. Oh, no. And he, they only had those little, remember those little ever-ready uh, flash headlamps? Yeah. Had wires you had to connect to the battery yeah those were the type of uh spotlights that they had back in those days so uh, my cousin johnny get pulled gets pulled across back across the river and uh he lights them up with the lights bigfoot up with his headlamp and uh-huh. he only sees like the thing is huge he says it's so huge that his his little spot from the lamp only could focus on like either the head or Oh part of God. the side, oh. but he's looking at a big giant man. He says, in, "In covered in hair," and so he picks up his twenty-two and unloads thirteen twenty-two bullets into it. Oh, and it didn't even kill it. Oh, it yeah. didn't even uh, scream. All it did is just drop the net and took off back into the woods. Oh my God! And uh, that Bigfoot took twenty-two rounds into its body. Oh man! And so Johnny, um, he he basically stops fishing the river for the rest of his life. Uh, he never goes back. Sure. Um, and uh, that was a big part of his his income, uh, mm-hmm. fishing that river. Oh man! And so um, I grew up with his son John John, and and uh, I asked John John, "Your dad ever talk about?" It? He goes, "No, you don't like talking about Bigfoot at all." <laughs> he never talked about it to his son ever. Wow. And that's pretty intriguing because Johnny's a hunter and a gatherer and a native guy and a fisher. And, and uh, he just didn't, he lost his uh, flair for the woods and uh, to mm-hmm. fish in that river ever again. And to this day, he's never has. And he's mm-hmm. it's probably s- close to 70 now. Did, and, um, did he continue to hunt and stuff, or did he quit that as well? No, he quit. He quit anything in Lummi. Mm-hmm. He'd go hunting Mount Baker for deer and whatnot with his brothers and stuff, but he he lost his flair for uh, harvesting the river. Yeah. And uh, so that's why um, Jim Bodesty wanted to check out this river scene, you know, because mm-hmm. he's, he's heard about it. And 17 years ago, he'd been – wanting to get out to Lummi to do some research and hiking around. Right. And so Jim um, was uh, was right on the money. He basically took took this research uh, interest, mm-hmm. and um, I told him, well, if we want to uh, trespass all over Lummi, we need to get permission. So sure. um we he wrote a letter and the tribe gave us six months of trespassing rights anywhere oh, nice. we wanted to go. Oh, we wow. just couldn't dig for bones. We could, we can't 
take artifacts we can only observe. And so at that point, that's when Jim Bodice got a hold of Matt Moneymaker and they f- sent us a FLIR, a cat's eye uh, thermal viewer, mm-hmm. and the camcorder record everything that we got. Oh, and so that was the very beginning of uh, working with the BFRO. Um, they gave me a little business card in case I needed to hand them out to some of the residences. Mm-hmm. And um, because I'm a native, the residents of Lummi, they f- they opened up. Oh, they cool. opened their doors up for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, they wanted to know as well how many lived out there, where they were at. Mm-hmm. Only four or five Indians knew where they were oh. all the time. Any time of the year, they knew where they were. Oh, okay. Because of when they were uh, being raised up in Lummi, they actually threw rocks across the river, and it would throw rocks back across. <laughs> so they had a little game throwing rocks across the river, and they would throw bigger rocks back <laughs> <laughs> and sticks and stuff. Um Dora Lee Solomon from Lummi, she tells me she was sitting at the river waiting for a drift and a stick came over at her. And so she throws it back and they start throwing the same stick back to one another. <laughs> and uh, she says she remembers her grandmother uh, used to talk about playing with the children of the woods. Uh-huh. And uh, see, I mean, I was gifted a lot of information, a lot of uh Real information came out mm-hmm. for me, so I could actually knew where to start um, looking in these zones, these hot zones uh, sure. that they told me about. And um, I was just so thankful for their advice and their information. Mm-hmm. Um, I promise, you know, I, they, some of them made me promise I'd take care of them and and not harm them, and make sure everybody knows of them so they don't kill them and don't uh, harm them and uh, they won't harm us. Oh, and um, so I learned really fast at the beginning uh, by the elders to to not disturb their peace because they've been at peace for all these years with them. Um, so yeah. unfortunately, it, it ended up going the other way on me um, where we – the more I went out, the more aggressive it started getting. Mm. Or uh, trees were being destroyed. More, uh, more uh, trees were being laid across the road. It would actually push trees across the main roads in Lummi. Oh man! And yeah, man, that was amazing. In fact, I was like, "Oh my god, I hope I didn't do this." <laughs> and so, one of my elders uh, who sweat lodges with with me. He uh, he started seeing the signs. I, I think he had known about them for a long time until someone starts messing with them, and then they they try to figure out who's messing with these things, you know. Mm-hmm. And, um, someone told on me, "Oh, that's Marcel," you know, he's <laughs> out there. And, and so he got a hold of me in a sweat lodge and told me to leave him alone, you know, don't be bothering him, you know. Oh. And mean it, I mean it, you know. I'm like, oh man, uncle. <laughs> you don't even know where I'm at. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. my mind, I'm like, I'm trying to learn everything about them. So I'm going to teach my own kids about them and make sure they stay safe, you know. But some of them are just not want people to mess with them, you know. And, sure. and I agree. I agree. But 
at least provide information then, you yeah. know. Yeah. Keep tell us how to stay safe, how to not bother them, you know, because yep. how did I know my spotlighting was going to make trees fall over? <laughs> and, you know, but how, how did I, you know my spotlighting was going to push them from one end of the res to the other end, you know? Right. And that's what it, I had done after months and months of just exploring. Sure. Uh, and you, you, I think you're right, though. I think you and I were talking about this a little bit before the show, and and I think if people have knowledge that they're out there, and I understand there's there's sacred knowledges and there's things that maybe just can't be shared, but you're right. Some general guidelines, I think, would be wonderful because you know if I was, and I mentioned this to you before the show too, if I'm camping in an area with tigers, but nobody bothered to tell me there was tigers there, I'm, I'm in a, I'm in a bad place, you know. But I I don't know that. So to know that here they're in this area, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, and you should be fine, you know? Some best practices at least. Yeah, it should have been. Uh, I'm sure it was shared at one time, but maybe at a certain point they just stopped sharing. I don't know. But yeah. maybe, um, you know, I was never one to go and start shooting at anything, you sure. know, or right. for any reason other than just getting food. Right. Um, like I said, I've been all over this red grow, res growing up on a dirt bike. I've been, th- we created a lot of those dirt bike trails was m- me and, uh, some of the, the kids from Lummi that rode dirt bikes. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it wasn't for Kenny Cooper chasing and impounding our bikes from riding on the road, we wouldn't have never had to carve the res with, uh, these trails that went from one end to the other end. Right. Right. And, uh, these trails that we had made, nobody has used them, but we know now that the Sasquatch must be using them now because mm-hmm. um, there's screams and there's tree manipulations um, before you even enter into these old trails that we had created as kids. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them are overgrown, and uh, the kids nowadays, they don't ride bikes like we used to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, things have changed. And uh, Kenny Cooper arrested uh, two of us for riding dirt bikes on just the public road, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's the rest, man. It's like <laughs> we should be able to ride our bikes anywhere. Right. But he was being a stickler, and he, um, he he took our bikes a couple times. And, you know, so <laughs> now we had to make trails. And it took a lot of summers to make those trails. <laughs> Yeah, that's and, true. Uh, we, we grew up having fun being woodsmen and stuff, and mm-hmm. and uh, but this Bigfoot issue uh, became an issue after living in this house and uh, learning a lot. Uh, other people knew, mm-hmm. and uh, I was like, "How come they didn't tell us?" You know, right. we're part of the family. You know, it's it's basically when you have an encounter with them, then you get told things, but. Not all the time. Sure, sure. No, I think it's, it's bizarre. Yeah, it, it is. A, this place is a special place, man. Mm-hmm. And uh, after learning what I have learned about the lamination, I, I really don't want no uh, researching and science going on over there. But I know that we can do low impact. Mm-hmm. We can get some information low impact wise. I already have done some. But there's that um, the DNA is what I'm after now, and it's in the 
couple of these crooks. And I just learned like a few years ago, they're able to take uh, water samples of these crooks and ponds oh. and decode the DNA of the water. And uh, I happen to know that there's several swamps that have them there. And oh. that's my next uh, scientific exploration is to go back in there in a low pack, low impact mm-hmm. and uh, grab some of these samples I had gobs of hair. I had gobs of hair. Uh, it cost a lot of money to test hair strands. Yeah. In fact, Retman Mulis Jr. from the Bigfootology um, um, webpage, website. Okay. Um, gosh, that's another story I got to uh, share okay. um, how we, we ended up meeting. And um, I, gotta, I got to work with some professors like Igor Burtsev. Oh, nice. And, uh, okay. We work with uh, Brian Sykes and um, all because uh, Repman Mulis Jr. Big Pathology um, made that happen because of what we found together. Um, I invited uh, a Bigfoot uh, researcher. His name was Repman Mulis Jr. Mm-hmm. Uh, just after, just before our, uh, Project ended with uh, the Lummi Nation permission to trespass. Mm-hmm. I just kind of observe. And uh, just before that expired, that letter expired, um, I reached out to um, this Bigfootology um, page. They were just not too many miles from where I was. And so I give him a call, and I wanted to know what he knew or if he knew anything. And he had a vast variety of uh, information. And so I told him where I was, and he's, "Oh, Giddy, I want to go to Lummi. Yeah, that's a good spot." He said he even knew of uh, Kenny Cooper and some of the other things that had happened up in Lummi through Bigfoot. Mm. There's several things that I learned from um, Repman Mulis Jr. One of the tribal elders had written into um, the Brian Vike Vic. Sounds Brian, familiar. Uh, yeah, he did a big paper on the Lummi Nation. Okay. Uh, one of the elders on Scott Road, and I know the house so much. I know the house. My cousin lived in the house mm-hmm. after uh, she she had passed away. That was his grandmother, Emma. Emma, God, what was her last? Emma Thomas, or I think it, that's what it was. Okay. Um, she had wrote to Brian Vick and told him about uh, a Bigfoot that was trying to get into her house, and he keeps showing himself every time her husband goes to work. And her husband was a logger, oh. so he was gone from morning till dark. Right. And so this. Bigfoot on Scott Road um, was the one that was trying to break into Emma's house. And um, she basically ran out. How would you like to be the only house on the block for miles, man? Not in a situation like that. She had no neighbors. And the Scott Road was freshly built. Mm -hmm. And so her her, uh, 
little um, cabin um, was built by her dad where mm. she was raised and um, basically was dirt roads back then. Now there's paved roads um, when she lived there. And so she was able to escape the house as it was trying to get into the back of the house. It actually tore the screen door open. And, oh, my God. And it, it was physical. Jeez. And uh, she ran out of there and was able to uh, uh, run to, uh, like, man, it's like almost a mile away to her first neighbor oh, that man. helped her. Yeah, and she stayed there till her husband came home. <laughs> and, um, so this little this little house is on Scott Road, right on the edge of a swamp. Mm-hmm. And, man, I got so many air... Uh, um, documented um, uh, encounters there, mm-hmm. big time. Um, man, I I don't know where to begin. I got so many things that that veer off on a storyline. Sure. And uh, but we'll just stick to the events as they had progressed. Um, yeah. So um, Jim Buddha State, he wanted to get in the river because of what has happened in the past, and he knew everything about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the Kenny Cooper, the the cop of Lummi chasing it all the way to and uh, over to the refinery area in okay. Ferndale, uh, Lake Taro Road. And there's a little film documentary that explains uh, where he was chasing Bigfoot because uh, Vicky Washington, her his his uh, stepdaughter, would be with uh, Kenny Cooper, the cop, mm-hmm. as go out chasing and looking for Bigfoot at times. And so she got to be one of the kids that would ride along with him. Mm. And uh, she saw new areas that, that no one knew of. And she shared some of those areas with me that I already had discovered, but Mm -hmm. um, backed it up with her information. Like, yeah, you're right. It was here before, you know, and, and um, the areas that I had started seeing it at, and um, experiencing and seeing Bigfoot tracks and um, seeing trees pushed over, man, that was amazing. That yeah. alone is amazing, man. It, it, uh, yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, it was. I had uh, Brian Lee. He was my uh, non-Indian, uh, my uh, go-to guy. Mm-hmm. Brian Lee, he's a, a paranormal uh, ghost chaser. Mm-hmm. He studies ghosts. And I wanted to bring... I wanted to assemble a team together of ghost chasers and paranormal guys because I want to know what we're dealing with because this is really scary, man. It's getting really scary now. Yeah. The, the more I entered into its territory, the more it would push back. Sure. Like it would come to the house. It took a dog already at this point. Mm. It took one of my little dogs and then our cat is starting to go missing, too, at that point. Mm-hmm. It would come and go, come and go, but it came back all sweaty one night. And like, wow, there's something wrong with Felix here, the cat. <laughs> and um, it's like it was being chased or something. It must have been being chased. It sounds like uh, it. But, man, I, I uh, ended up going into... Um, deeper into the research now at this point because now i'm like man this thing is still here (laughs) right 
mean, nobody's telling anybody where it's at. Mm-hmm. At this point, um, uh, Retman Mulis Jr. given me and sent me some literature on things that happened before I was born to, uh, which is in 1967, um, things that had happened in the Marietta area of Bellingham, right next, same, same river system. Mm-hmm. It's a big river delta. And um, there was uh, encounters over in Marietta, the little town of Marietta. They're right on the edge of the riverbed, or river of the Nooksack River. Mm-hmm. And so I started getting more information on different areas outside of Lummi. Like, oh, shoot, man. Yeah. This thing went through Lummi, then went into town a little bit. <laughs> Scared <laughs> a whole over there. Yeah. And they were actually... One of the um, one of the stores they were wanting to ask the Indians, you guys, uh, do you guys scream around at night or anything? <laughs> you know, like sure. we we have shamans in Lummi that are very distinctive, and um, mm-hmm. they have a uh, two hundred year old uh, shaman house called a longhouse, oh. and it is positioned out there right along that river edge. Mm-hmm. And uh, three months out of the year, we're in ceremony. We still practice our ancient ceremonies, and um, it's like uh, goes from like uh, December all the way till uh, um, like March. Oh wow! Yeah, March. Mm-hmm. It's like the winter months. It's a sacred uh, sacred time for the illumination. Okay, it's ceremonial. Uh, uh, heritage that we have mm-hmm. and um so they the people in town that are on marietta side you're only like probably talking just like three miles from the actual uh longhouse oh okay well, you know when we ceremony and we pout well when we have ceremony it goes from dark to like 2 a.m sometimes sometimes it goes in even into the 4 a.m period because Wow. The visitor, the shaman visitors from other uh, local coastal tribes mm-hmm. were all the same type of people. Mm-hmm. And so they all bring their, their shaman in and every one of them gets to sing their, their chants. Mm-hmm. And many drummers, man, I'm talking like maybe a hundred drummers just drumming and wow. throughout the evening. And I'm pretty sure it echoes in the t- town's edge because I had, uh, non-Indian friends that lived in Marietta that I got to meet because of Bigfoot's uh, oh, encounters sure. that they had. They were asking me. They finally got to ask an Indian, "What, what is the why? Why do? You, why is there drumming at night?" <laughs> and I explained to them in a good way. Uh-huh. Oh, and then then they realized, wow, that's where the drums come from when they're like they their house had gotten a little tampered with so they actually chased a, a big old being into the they they heard it jump in the river and cross the other side wow and when they were there doing they chased they could hear the drums echoing through the woods <laughs> wow that must have been kind of haunting yeah well for someone that doesn't right. don't know or not understand yeah. yeah it would sound kind of <laughs> like whoa man what, what's going on right. <laughs> everybody's asleep why is this drone <laughs> you know yeah and uh, they only had a clue well maybe they will now finally but 
um, that's what's happening is uh, we're, we're in our ceremonial uh, period. And um, when the drumming start, man, that's when the Bigfoots are around. Oh, okay. Yeah, they, they come around and they like to – I'm almost certain they, they must have a relationship or – or something at one time. Right. Now I was going to ask you, I was going to ask you because if they know that the traditional Lummi tradition is to this time of the year to do this observance for several hours every night, well, they know that most of the local native populations probably not going to be paying attention to what's going on around. So maybe that's a great time to come into your areas and see what they can find and forage, you know? Well, um, to add to that, I, this, this Kokomish tribe that's down by Olympia, Washington, okay. they're the same type of Indian. They go through their ceremonies same time. Okay. Well, uh, my cousin down there in Skokomish, um, when the drumming season starts, the Bigfoots start to gather around their area as well, mm. but in more numbers of them, though. Oh, wow. And... There's an area in the Skokomish uh, tribe where they basically set out um, salmon and crabs and, and they share a meal uh, with it at the very beginning of their season. Oh, neat. And it is sort yeah. of a spooky, spiritual, cool way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, uh, to acknowledge the people of the wilderness mm-hmm. and to carry on with the respect that they have been doing for centuries. Yeah. In, in Lummi, um, the Lummies, what they did is they planted, uh, orchards of, uh, these Chinese pears, I mm-hmm. guess that's a special pear or something. Mm-hmm. And they, they planted, uh, Apple, what do you call crab apple trees? Oh, sure. That grow through almost through winter, almost, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have orchards of trees here in this one section in, in a um, next to the tree line in a uh, back road where hardly anybody even goes through. Okay. And uh, so these orchards, I learned through uh, Chief. Um, Chief James, who's a hereditary chief of Lummi, okay, uh, he was the one that uh, explained to me why the trees were planted over there, and same areas where Kenny Cooper had been actually uh, surrounded a Bigfoot with several county sheriffs pointing guns at it, and they lit him up with uh, flashlights and whatnot, and they had a Sasquatch uh, cornered. Okay. Sheriffs of Whatcom County and the Lummi Police Department together had surrounded a juvenile Bigfoot in this um, blackberry bush. Okay. They part. They surrounded it in their with their cars. Oh. And uh, basically, Kenny Cooper. Um, this is the same orchard that the the the. Uh, the older residences of Lummi Nation, um, well, we call them elders now, but um, it was when their their people, um, their aunts and uncles planted those trees over there just to keep the Bigfoot over on that side of the res. 
and they could, you know, not have to worry about right. Uh, when they're harvesting uh, harvesting blackberries, um, they wouldn't be surprised to see a Bigfoot right there, you know, doing the same thing. <laughs> wow. So they planted these apple trees and this orchard in two places of the Lemmy Nation. One's over in a big old field so mm-hmm. far away. Um, um, basically to help keep the Bigfoot on one side of the res and they're mm. on this other side. So um, there was two different seasons and that's why I guess they had two different areas uh, to help them exist or keep them from yeah. <laughs> coming into their homes. Cause sure. everybody smokes salmon. Everybody smokes salmon there in Lummi. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have these uh, smoked salmon shacks in their backyard. Mm. And so that's why, uh, that's what I was told why there's apple trees in this pretty unusual pear tree was a China, from China, I guess. Wow. It's a certain kind of pear. I've never seen them, but hmm. I kind of want to uh, know what they are so I could feed them down here, these pears. You know, right, right. What I learned all this time, what I've learned, man, I can go anywhere in, in this USA and uh, see and look for signs of manipulations. Mm-hmm. And I can tell if they have Bigfoot or not. That's really in cool. Lummi, in Lummi Nation, it's a really awesome training ground because you're going to see everything that they do to the wilderness from caves to tree formations to um, bending trees into big arcs. Yeah. And... Do you guys have any any reason why they do that? Do you know what they may mean, according to the First Nation? What I got told by um, none of the First Nations really know why they do these things to the trees or why the trees are bent like they are. Okay. <laughs> they never – I've had no one explain to me why they do these things. Okay, everybody, I think it's time we got to take a break, so don't go away, and we'll be right back with more of the Paranormal Portal podcast in just a couple minutes. All right, everybody, and we're back, and we're back at it here on the Paranormal Portal podcast. Buckle up, we're going in. But I did get to talk to Jane Goodall. Oh. I had a conversation with Jane Goodall over the phone. And because of her, I tried the same experiment that she did Hmm. with the silverback. I asked my um, 17-year-old daughter... Hey, I know this is going to sound funny, weird, and uh, but I need it. I really need to see, and I need to do this experiment. So I had her menstruate in a bucket. Okay. And I caught it all, and I basically poured it into a spray bottle. Oh. And uh, because what Jane Goodall told me was, you know, how she was able to get the silverback to finally come out of hiding was 
she administrated on herself and just let it let it flow. Oh. And then the pheromone scent, that smell, they uh-huh. could they they it's like they can smell it from miles away or something. Wow. Yeah. And it was I proved it true. It's it's it, they're they're right. They're right. It does work because um, I went to another section of the res mm-hmm. and I had sprayed this scent on the trees. Okay. And um, all of a sudden, within three or four days, the tree was destroyed. Oh. Wow. And um, I'm so glad that um, I, she was old enough to move out into her own place. And uh, she's, she was just graduating from high school. Mm-hmm. And she was able to go and rent her own house. Mm-hmm. And uh, because uh, if she continued to live out with me, and after had spread her scent around, that thing's going to try to oh, get her. Right, get out. Right. Yep. Yeah, I, so I was like, oh, geez, maybe I shouldn't have done this. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, she was like, okay, Dad, I'm a, she graduated from high school and she moved in her own house. <laughs> and uh, it's really funny because uh, we were kind of rich, you know, so she had a lot of money. Uh-huh. And uh, the people where she lived, she she was buying a house in a very nice um, community uh-huh. far off where I was up in Custer. And uh, the people around the place were like, where's your parents? <laughs> <laughs> she was having after-hour parties at her house. Oh, and then I basically told my wife, we need to go see what this girl's doing. This, this is weekend. She's... Yeah, she told us she's uh, busy this weekend, so let's go see what she's doing. So we ran over to her house. That's like ten thirty at night, mm-hmm. and she had a big bash. All kinds of <laughs> high schoolers, man, and Ooh. and uh, she got a letter from the community there. Like they wanted to know who, where her parents are. Oh. They didn't know she actually is the one that's buying the house. <laughs> <laughs> she, they just saw teenagers coming in and out of this house like mm-hmm. like nobody's business. And <laughs> it's like, wow. And so I told Brittany, man, you got to calm down, man. These people are going to think you're kind of, you're different. And yeah. uh, she goes, well, they're already asking for my parents' phone number. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's so wild. It didn't last too much longer because her dogs that she bought um, started digging up the, the yard and just mm. created a havoc for her. So she ended up moving into uh, down here in El Cajon to uh, come to school for uh, through San Diego. Oh, okay. And so she re- remo- you know, relocated and stuff. But the area that she was in, I started squatching that area because it was part of... Uh, the region where uh, Vicky Washington was telling me that um, Kenny Cooper used to chase the Bigfoot all the way up in that area into those woods where these houses were located. Mm-hmm. So I kind of, you know, I had this um, 
this camp, you know, after um, I gave back the the thermal camera from um, Matt Moneymaker, mm-hmm. I spent $18,000 and I bought my own thermal <laughs> camera recorder from Fleur. That was 11000 bucks. Wow. And so then I bought a uh, four thousand dollar or close to uh, 35 or 3800 bucks for a parabolic dish okay and so these this that was amazing piece of equipment alone that thing Mm -hmm. um it was interesting because you can hear what it does in the woods late at night especially when you hear them i had always heard them before i see them so Mm-hmm. Uh, that's my favorite tool to use uh, to pinpoint the direction to, to travel in. Right. Um, but um, yeah, but going back to uh, um, where was I? Uh, we're at the apple trees. I used the pheromone spray to spray uh, mm-hmm. uh, wooded area, and the tree was demolished. And so I, I sprayed it again further down the road just to confirm. Mm-hmm. I'm staying in the same vicinity, but just moving down the road right. a few, few thousand feet, and it destroyed that tree. So then I knew, whoa, I got a cool tool I can use to track them. Yeah, yeah. That's so I went down to the river, and right where the 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 um, dirt and the sand, I wanted to see if it was smart or not, or Mm-hmm. You know, because I want to see some footprints some more. Right. I want to actually start documenting. Okay, this um, eighteen-inch footprint. We got one, you know, and then you can actually from Dave, um, from Dave uh, Ellis's information. He says you could start taking tracks and start comparing them to the other tracks you find, mm-hmm. and you'll start to see a pattern and. Oh. And you might even start to be able to count how many are there. Right. And that was one of the, the science projects to do. Um, but one of the um, correlation experiments that Retman Mullis Jr. Uh, wanted me to do was uh, do a correlation uh, experiment. Mm-hmm. So I found an area where there was a fresh tree break and it that looked like it uh, walked around uh, this tree in uh, one of its trails right by the cemetery. And it's true, they hang out. They, it did seem like it hung out by a cemetery there. Wow. Uh, several pictures of its face. And that's why I gave them to Brian Lee to, to analyze, see if it was ghost or what. Right. right. <laughs> and, you know, because uh, I'm starting to get, be more aware and of its intelligence. Okay. Yeah, and as long as you didn't hold a camera up to your eyeball and mm-hmm. look for it, you would never see it. Oh. But when I start holding the camera down at my hip and just <laughs> listening with my ears and just kind of just Snapping. taking pictures like in a circle and pretending I'm not, uh-huh. then I start seeing it. Oh, cool! In yeah. the picture. Wow. And so that's when I realized, oh man. Um, don't hold nothing up to your eyes because it's thinking it's pointing the gun or your or it knows what you're up to. Right. Trying to see. So I started keeping that in the back of my head everywhere I went. Mm-hmm. And um, 
I got to go down to an expedition with Jim Bodesty down to, uh, I'm not supposed to say these, these places, but I'll give you a town close by Aberdeen, Washington. Okay. There's a, a huge, uh, um, a huge um, area where they are doing um, research on it. And so I'm the first native that I think they, they brought through that brought to this place. Oh, cool. And when I, you know, I have a, I had a $60,000 Hummer that I actually um, had a floor camera put in front grill and, and mm-hmm. a back camera Oh, and cool. I kind of set it up for squatching and, you know, cause it's, you're not supposed to get stuck in this thing and yeah. it's a cool, you know, cool military looking vehicle, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I built this Hummer into a squatching vehicle. So I went there in my Hummer and, uh, I show up, uh, like 12 o'clock They They wanted to meet there in, uh, Aberdeen. And then I followed them to the location. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was an amazing location because uh, um, I don't know if you know um, what's his name. He's a cop. He's a sheriff um, who actually had the encounter, and uh, he followed it into a group. There was a group of them. Oh, it, it followed it to a group, and then he basically uh, lost them because they were actually walking deeper into the forest. Oh, okay. And so that was the area that we went and looked at mm-hmm. and um, right away when I, we get to the spot where it actually thrown a bunch of trees down and, and created a big old pile of, and I got pictures of the spot. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very sensitive, mm-hmm. like spiritually. Sure. I don't know why. I don't know why and, and how it got stronger, but it did. Um, I could f- sense something was staring at me big time. Mm. When I get out of the truck, I'm feeling it right away. Like, And then the air, the air didn't seem right as well. Like, basically the energy there just felt like this is a, it must leave its energy everywhere or something mm. when it's in its little place that they like. Mm-hmm. A lot of trees were pushed down. Looked like they went up on top of the hill and just would run down and jump on the tree and lay it down. Just smack it Back down. Back up yeah. again, lay it down. Probably 50, 60 trees were laying down oh, in wow. uh, in this right above this little creek. Mm-hmm. And Jim and them were all getting all ready, getting their mic'd up, mics on. And Jim carries a big old... Jeez, I think it's a fifty caliber oh. <laughs> <laughs> for safety. Sure. But he, he keeps it in the backpack and when he pulled that thing out, I was like, holy smokes, that's a big barrel, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's uh for the bears or wildcats, you know, sure. gotta keep us protected. <laughs> and I've always ventured out with nothing, man. I'm vulnerable big time. He'd probably kill me in a minute. <laughs> and, and so I walk out just you know, in fear, a lot of fear, try to get over that fear a little bit. Sure. Because uh, you're not ready for uh, to see what this one looks like because they all look different. Yeah. I've seen several species now. Thank God I did and got to. Uh, now I understand the species a little bit better. Okay. And I 
I can see the the taller ones in the Pacifics are taller. The ones down here in uh, San Diego are a lot shorter. Okay. And they're a little more uh, human-sized. Oh, okay. Uh, it seems like, uh, yeah, I, I got to see some stuff. So I have a lot to share on that end as well. Well, I tell you what, I brother, we've, we've been through years. about an hour and a few minutes already. Yeah. What? <laughs> Time flies, brother, but, you know, it, wow. it's just really clear that you're going to have to come back several times. And, yeah, you know, for as sure. many times as you've got something to share, brother, I, have, I promise you I'll always have a microphone ready for you. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining us here on tonight's show. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Please feel free to follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Radio. As well as finding us on Twitter, we're on Twitter at Paranormal Portal, P-O-R-T-L. And uh, we'd love to have you stop by our YouTube page and subscribe and check out our shows there. we got hundreds of shows in our, uh, our, our vault of <laughs> journeys into the Paranormal Portal. So I hope you'll check it, uh, check it out, guys. We're over there at YouTube.com slash Paranormal Portal. So hope to see you guys soon. Uh, we'll be back, of course, for more podcasts in the coming days. So... Uh, stay tuned, but we love you all. Be good, be kind, be nice, take care of each other, help each other out, find the magic in every day, and remember to laugh as much as you can. Take care, everybody.